Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. My next guest today is a woman by the name of Jolker McCallum. She's the North American Regional Coordinator for the FPMT, and that stands for the Foundation for the Preservation of the Mahayana Tradition. She's a Buddhist. She's biked. Is that the right word? She's biked from uh, basically from Toronto to Thailand. I, we'll talk about how that's even possible, but let me tell you what it's a, it's that's quite a quite a trip. Uh, she's been searching. All her life, she says, and looking for happiness in all the wrong places. We talk about uh, her life before uh, becoming a Buddhist nun and her life after. We talk a lot about discipline, and we talk about yoga and meditation, and some some and, and religion across the board, and why um, she wants to change the world. Uh, we talk about karma, and and we talk about uh, the hard work of of what it means to be. Uh, a practicing Buddhist all the time, understanding that Jolkar has a great sense of humor. You're going to enjoy this uh, interview. There's a lot of uh, fun things here. There's a lot of insight uh, about faith-based uh, dialogue and, and about the tradition of, of Buddhism itself. So uh, in, uh, I hope you enjoy it. Um, Jolkar McCallum, davidpecklive.com for more uh, info on my speaking, my writing, and also uh, many other podcasts there. Check us out also uh, on rabble.ca. Uh, talk to you soon. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We are joined by another very special guest uh, today, uh, a topic that I'm really interested in chatting about, uh, Buddhism and 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 interfaith dialogue. Jolkler uh, McCallum as the North American Regional Coordinator for the FPMT, I almost said that wrong, uh, the Foundation <laughs> for the Preservation of the Mahayana Tradition. Did I get that right, Jolkler? Perfect. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining us today. I really appreciate your time and, and, and your willingness to chat about uh, about things that you're clearly passionate about. Yeah. Thanks for having me on the show, David. So tell me tell me a little bit more about your CV here. I noticed you um, 
you know, so the, the, the foundation, the FPMT, is a non-profit Buddhist organization, So and, and it's international, so I'd love to hear more about that and about the work you do. I think one of the things that I find really interesting, you're working on, on what's called the Liberation Prison Project. Hopefully we can talk a little bit about that as well yes. uh, in our conversation today. But before that, tell me, you had seven years of your life. You, uh, you've been a Buddhist since 1995. You spent seven years as a nun. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Can you tell me? I mean, I mean, I think maybe, maybe because of my background and and the the philosopher in me, I I mean, I want to know why, why why did you choose that? That's a that's a pretty, I would say that's a pretty significant shift. I would think from and I and I have no idea who or what you were up to before 1995. Right. Yeah. Well, I was mostly up to no good before. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Like how how no good? Define no good. Um, maybe, um, <laughs> I was doing that. that's very funny. I know you to, better, David. <laughs> that's right. Up to no good. Uh, do you mean, do you mean you just weren't like kind of, you know, giving back in a sense to society or do you mean actually no good? Like uh, were you out stealing cars? Is that what you were doing? Well, no, I'm not that bad. Okay. You no, know, kind of too much sex, drugs and rock and roll sex, and drugs looking and in the wrong roll. places for happiness. Looking outside myself for happiness, which I've learned since then, is not the place to be looking. Looking in the wrong places for happiness is uh, is something we are definitely going to return to in uh, in a couple of minutes. Yeah, tell me. So tell me about that. So was there some sort of a was it a conversion experience? I mean, were you at a retreat? Uh, was it a pamphlet? Was it a book? How, how how do you end up at seven years as a as a Buddhist nun? I know. I asked myself <laughs> that. <laughs> Well, let's see. Um, I was riding around the world on a bicycle at the time because I had been traveling trains, planes, and automobiles. And I thought, hey, why not travel around the world on a bike? And when Cause, I arrived cause in Nepal... Because so, so many people get up in the morning and that's the first thing out of their mouths. I, th <laughs> I think I'm going to travel around the world on a bike. Yeah, that's that's a goal I have in my life. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I mean, it's also, I wonder where does that come from? But that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, I thought, why not, you know? Yeah. Well, my parents are, dad's from Australia, mom's okay. from England. So it's just the wanderlust sure, has sure. been with me forever. So. so I had been around the world a few times and I thought, well, hey, this is something different. Mm, okay, I see. So when I arrived in Nepal, then I saw a a pamphlet for a ten day medica meditation course up um, in Kopan Monastery, mm -hmm. and I did that. But before that, I guess I can say I had been spending my whole entire life, um, yeah, researching and trying to figure out what it was all about. I had this kind of strange experience when I was eight years old, and it's hard to describe. <laughs> okay. It's a little abstract, but but since then, I don't know how to describe the experience, but I saw that things were not as they appear to be. Hmm. And so from that moment on, I was kind of, during my travels, every country I went to, I was studying, like in the Middle East, I was reading the Koran, and then when I was in India for many years, I was studying Hinduism, and then... Um, also Christianity, I mean, which is, you know, all over the place. Mm -hmm. And um, 
I agreed with, you know, the, the basis of all these wonderful religions, you know, be good, be kind, do unto others as, as you have them do unto you. But it didn't go into the heart. There was no kind of heart connection, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So when I was living in France in the late 80s, um, actually a friend of mine was into Zen Buddhism. Okay. And I thought, oh, wow, Buddhism. I'd always been somehow drawn to Buddhism. And I was kind of studying it and asking lots of, lots of questions. But it didn't, it didn't have that heart connection for me. So when I arrived at Kopan Monastery in June 1995, I did this 10-day introduction to Buddhism and meditation course with this wonderful nun, Venerable Karen, from um, Sweden. And literally... She spoke for like three or four minutes, and that was it. He was like, pow, this is it, finally. Wow. I felt like I was coming back to it. So what year What year was this? Is this, is this 95 or? 94, 1995. This is 1995, okay. Yep, 10-day course. So, um, so yeah, with, within three days, I was, you know, asking her so many questions, and already right then I wanted to become a nun. Wow. Because for me, it had been years of searching and searching and searching, and finally I'd found what I'd been looking for. And because things leading up to that moment, I realized that this was the only thing I should be doing with my life. It's the only thing that made sense anymore to me. And um, in Tibetan Buddhism, becoming a nun or a monk is the best way to spend your life. So you don't have any of the householder's responsibilities. Your time is spent studying, meditating, helping others. It's just an incredible way to spend spend a life. So, so tell me why you're searching. So you said you spent you know years of searching. Why did your searching seem to have? I mean, why didn't you become a scientist? You know, I mean, clearly you've got mystery and wonder and you're driven by the question to some degree. You, 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 you have lots of questions. Why the faith-based angle to what you, to, to your journey? That's a really good question. Oh, I never thought of that before. <laughs> well, I'm an Aquarius, so okay. we're very spiritual and we want to save the world. So I think... That's a very un-Buddhist thing to say. It's in my DNA. It's in my that's DNA. right. That's right. Oh, maybe you are a scientist. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's a good question. No, I just, I just, I, I just, I just always find it interesting. Um, you know, whatever path you choose, I mean, <clears throat> whatever path we choose, you know, how much of that has to do with upbringing? You know, you got a, um, you say an Australian father, uh, uh, and and I think uh, an English mother. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, you're coming out of a pretty Western tradition. I mean, we're not talking Hindu, Buddhist, uh, Muslim tradition. You're coming out of a pretty Judeo-Christian tradition, um, and 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 as as did I. And so, um, but but you know, is there something else going on there? Are you know, uh, maybe maybe there is a DNA-like edge to it. You know, I don't right. think so really. But um, I do sometimes, you know, I have an eight and a 10 year old and uh, my listeners hear about uh, my kids all the time. Why are my kids searchers and other children aren't? Or do we lose that 
you know desire to search at a certain point because uh, capitalism and the free market and lifestyle advertising and competition and all those things drive it down you know yeah. or drive it away anyway it's just i find it something pretty interesting and fascinating to to reflect on right well I'm pretty sure it has to do with karma, but that mm. could just be the Buddhist in me. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. It it may it may be is is um I want to you know what let's come back let's come back to karma because that's a, that's obviously a, a a pretty big deal. Can you talk a little bit more about this? I mean, maybe this had something to do with your what you called a strange experience at eight years old. Can you talk a little yeah. bit more about that? Um, it's hard to. I just wanted to say you were. You were speaking about, I was, I just the other day found a baptism certificate. Okay. So I kind of had an idea that that's what happened because my mom being British, she was, I think, Protestant or something like that. Mm -hmm. So we went to church every Sunday when I was very young. But then after she died, I was only five or six years old. And my dad, one Sunday morning, he brought myself and my two sisters together and said, we're having a family vote raise your hand, you know, if you want to continue going to church or would you rather sleep in? So that was the end of my kind of religious training, as you could say. But I was so curious from an early age, and I'm not sure why, um, that I would go with my little girlfriends to their various churches and then I would go with to another Jewish girlfriend to the synagogue on Saturday mornings. And just, it was... A spiritual quest since since I can remember and so it was a few years later at eight years old that I was really yeah it's very strange for an eight-year-old to be having these these thoughts but just I was standing outside my house one day and I was just in this kind of I call it an esoteric mood I don't know what it was but I thought you know what if I wasn't you know, who I am, you know, what would that be like? And I was just kind of thinking, I guess it was a meditation, but right. because I was so young, I didn't realize it was meditation. Then I, th- I looked back at my house, I thought, well, what if, what if my mother, what house wasn't here? You know, where would I be living? What would that be like? Well, what if the whole neighborhood wasn't here? And then I was going on and on until suddenly, what if there was no town? What if there wow. was no country, no planet? And suddenly it was just like... These are big questions. Yeah. So there I was with... I'd stripped away everything and it was like... There was nothing. And kind of freaked me out a bit. Yeah, I bet. (laughs) How old... And you were eight at this point? I was eight. Wow. Yeah, those are big... I mean, I I, I look at some of the questions that our kids ask and I actually... I keep a diary uh, and probably will for a couple more years uh, of the questions that either blow me away or make me laugh or or whatever the case might be. And I have this idea that I'm going to compile them into a book someday and give it to them as a gift or (laughs) or or embarrass them at their wedding or something like that. But but yeah, it's just fascinating to me that you were kind of almost burdened by these existential reflections at such a young age. I know. And yet you saw something other in it you know yeah. I, I really think it's interesting to you know joker you, you you had mentioned you know you talked about other religions and you looked at you know different things and, and and the phrase you've used a couple of times is that they had no heart or didn't connect with or my didn't, heart or didn't connect with your heart yeah yeah and i think yeah maybe maybe there's something going on there yeah the heart connection 
so also when I was growing up after this experience, which I don't want to say is like some big religious esoteric experience. It's just like a small thing that happened when I was eight and that really got me thinking about things. But also after that, um, frequently I would lose myself. I mean, as most people do, right? Mm-hmm. And I would stand in front of the mirror and I would have to reconstruct myself by talking to myself because I would keep disappearing I say, okay, you know, your name is Droka, you're 10 years old, you're good at basketball. Actually, I sucked at basketball. <laughs> but, you know, you're in Mrs. Mr. Brown's class, you live in Toronto. Do you see what I mean? I would have to do this from time to time because I felt myself disappearing. And as I was growing up, <coughs> I would think about that. And I think, you know, there's something else going on here. I knew there was there was something else going on since a young age. And I think my whole life has been, I've been traveling and searching. And just, I, that's the scientist in me. I was Maybe. checking what the heck was going on. Well, you were doing, you were doing your research, right? Was, I mean, you were, you were, you were testing, um, um, yeah, you were you were testing a variety of different paths. It seems to me, and and trying to and hoping. It seems to me. That, I mean, there must have been a great deal of hope there as well that you were going to find this uh, approach or this way of looking at the world or an understanding that was going to bring you a sense. Uh, is it fair to say a sense of peace? Yeah, of peace and of purpose. Also, mm. I knew I knew I would find what I was looking for. I was always pretty certain of that. And then in this monastery, when I heard a few words of Tibetan Buddhism, it was like, ah, finally. Mm. It was like home that I was picking up where I'd left off off last life. That might sound pretty weird to people, but <laughs> Yeah. Well, I'm sure it does to some, yeah. So you so you 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 really found after this three to four minute conversation with this uh nun that you were back home. Yes, I was back on track. And I couldn't believe how long it took. <laughs> mm. Like 30 years of searching and finally okay. And then I could, uh, yeah, I could start again. And it's a great feeling. What, so th- this idea of losing yourself, I, that, I find that really fascinating. So as a child, you would actually, was it a, was it a kind of a metaphysical thing or was it actually um, an emotional or maybe even, I mean, you must have reflected back on this a fair bit, but um, did you actually forget who you were? Uh, yes. I forgot who I was and what I was doing. And I mean, but now having studied the Buddhist principles, it it all kind of, it, it makes sense to me now because mm. we actually, according to Buddhism, we don't exist the way we think we exist. It's all labels and perceptions and, you know, everything is impermanent, changing moment by moment. Nothing is as solid or concrete the way we think it is. So now it kind of makes total sense, but, yeah. <laughs> but, but not so much probably at the time. No, not at all. Yeah. My yeah. friends thought I was pretty weird. Right. Have you always felt like a bit of a, you know, as Malcolm Gladwell would say, an outlier, an outsider? Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely, but not in, not in my circles. I mean, it's completely normal. Um, there's um, a big event coming up in Singapore. I'm leaving. That's why I also had a lot of work. I'm getting organized to leave next week. Okay. There's a big event happening where all 
that people who work in the FPMT and students were getting together for something for my teacher, Lama Zopa Rinpoche. So when I'm in that crowd, it's interesting that I can just be myself and we, you know, um, lost my point. Well, that, that this idea that that we can uh, the the out the outsider. I think you were you were sort of chatting about you were talking about uh, you know uh, yes exactly you know, feeling normal feeling in feeling your you know being yourself. Yeah. So um, being myself when I'm with my FPMT family, as I like to call it, then I can be completely myself. And but sometimes with other people, um, I have to change the way. I speak or the way I relate. Mm. It's hard to describe. I, I find a lot of things f- funny that a lot of people find so serious. I find people are so serious in the world, David, and they all just <laughs> need to relax <laughs> and laugh at themselves. People take mm. them so seriously, and mm. and sometimes that makes me laugh, which is not so good. Because really, I mean, it's just so many things are ridiculous that um, <laughs> I don't know if I'm making sense. Sorry, but no, I, I mean, I think you, you absolutely are. I mean, I, I don't think it's too hard to see that. I mean, you just you know, BBC News or the Globe and Mail or whatever it is you read, it's it's uh, there's not a whole lot of not a whole lot of comedy, not a whole lot of humor going on there. No, absolutely. And and you know when you do look around the world, it does seem to be that we get a whole lot more negative than positive. I think anyway. I mean yeah. the the messages that are communicated and so on. But I mean the idea of of um, smiling of of you know working the muscles in your face. Uh, <laughs> I mean it's it's a huge message for me actually, Drawcar. I mean I I'm way more. Uh, you know, my wife, Elizabeth, she's, she's the, um, hmm, she's the smiler in my family. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I tend towards the melancholic. I, I tend towards the more serious. Those are the kinds of books that I read, the kinds of films that I like to see. And that's, that's just, you know, my own existential, uh, workout, I suppose, right. you know, but, but at the same time, I mean, I remember reading, um, hmm. I think it was the miracle of mindfulness uh, quite a few years ago. A wonderful, delightful book, and about just you know um, so many things it's about. But a short, hundred and ten page book on 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 Buddhism and princ- the principles of it, and so on, and and just really living more in the moment. And I think that was something I find incredibly difficult to do. But one of the things I think that the the author talked about in in the book was um, or at least the principle of getting out of bed in the morning and this idea of of putting a happy face on the ceiling of where you you sleep <laughs> you know and that's, that's the first thing you see in the morning and I will admit there is no happy face on my ceiling but perhaps <laughs> there should be you gotta get one David <laughs> <laughs> do you do you have one in yours well, I was just thinking you can just roll over and look at your wife's happy face. <laughs> There's your happy face. It's true. Yes, it's true. Yes, uh, Elizabeth for sure uh, sees way more in comedy in life than I do, without a doubt. Well, I think there's, I think there's a real strength in that, but I think you're right. I think you know, you you, you commented, and maybe one of the com- uh, questions I wanted to ask you is what what is it about Buddhism? What is it that drew you in in that three to four minutes? Clearly, it was something very relational. It was a culmination of a, a long history and the search and so on. But there was something you connected with, and 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 as you've 
reflected and thought and written and spoken and all the things that you've done on 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 your life and and reflected back on your past what is it that drew you in um uh, you you mentioned the, the you know we don't exist the way we think we exist the, the little labels that we we put on things the compartments that we that scientists this is why you're not a scientist right that, that love to put it into the mathematical kind of language uh, clearly you can't or don't or are not interested in that and i wonder is that what pulled you in yeah. or, do, or do you know i'm trying to think back to that moment i i i really remember that um when i was studying all the other religions during my travels um particularly christianity i mean i completely agreed with all the basis when okay. i was younger i wanted to be actually a christian nun <laughs> okay okay um you know, love, compassion, sure. being nice to each other, being decent, respecting, do unto others. I mean, that that is the basis. That is so important, love, happiness. Um, and I completely 100% agreed with that. And I kept looking around thinking, yeah, how can I do that? And I would go to church and I would listen to them say, you need to be good. You need to, you know, not do bad things. You need to be doing great things. And I think, yes, that's what I want. But how? Mm. No one was telling me how to do it. Because so during this 10-day introductory course at Kopan Monastery in Nepal, I realized, because in Venerable Karen's uh, introduction to Buddhism, she was saying that we have something uh, called the Lam Rim, which is the uh, graduated path to enlightenment. And is graduated because they say, okay, step number one, you should do this. Step number two, you should do this. And for one, someone as scatterbrained as I am and, you know, terribly lazy, I want someone to say, okay, do this, do this. And eventually you will become like this, step by step. And in my own scientific way, I've kind of proven to myself that the methods of Buddhism work for me as I've seen they work for uh, a lot of other people because um, I used to be a really I used to be quite angry have a lot of issues with anger and I used to you know the old victim mentality oh poor me why is everyone doing this to me and um, I started studying the the meditations in Tibetan Buddhism on anger and how how to get over anger and I I started practicing them and 20 years later <laughs> no it happened a lot faster mm. but it really works so the scientist in me has proven that for me this particular method works amazingly so, so was it so Drokar was it was was it the the discipline maybe of it that you know you refer to yourself you don't sound lazy to me i mean you rode a bike across you know the global south for heaven's sakes um but um it was hard work yeah i bet you know you really have to pedal fast across <laughs> the ocean and you just keep sinking down that was hard work i bet it was yeah you got to come up with some uh, interesting mechanisms and devices i would think to to figure that out that's like one huge problem right yeah. um one huge task so yeah, it was it the or is it the discipline of the Buddhist monastic life that that drew you in? Do you think to some degree the like you say the step one, the step two? There were they they gave you something to do. Yes, gave me something to do. Yeah, something to practice, something to really get my teeth into and really apply to myself. And I could see 
slowly, slowly was working, and that inspired me to keep going. And uh, 20 years later is just, yeah, it was the greatest move I ever made because I'm definitely happier. Tell me, tell me about that. You know, you, right out of the gate, you pretty much said something about, uh, uh, you know, your past and so on and finding happiness in all the wrong places. <laughs> what are the right places? I mean... The right places is... I, I was looking outside, as, mm. as, you know, most people do. If if I get that new object, I'll be happier. If I get that boyfriend, I'll be happier. If I move, you know, across the country, I'll be happier. The green is... The grass is always greener kind of thing. Right. But it it doesn't work. It's It's... You have to look inside to make yourself happy. I mean, someone else or another object is not going to make you happy. You need to look inside. And that's through meditation, through looking within, through. And that that really works. <laughs> Do, you know, okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push back on you just a tiny bit and go, isn't that what, I mean, not when I say push back, I just mean challenge it a little bit. Don't, 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 do, doesn't looking inside scare the shit out of most people? Absolutely. Isn't, you know, isn't that what the existentialist said, you know, uh, that we start to look inside, we, we're scared of this thing called freedom, and what we do is we react to that f- fear, and then yeah. we end up, I think, I think essentially what we end up with is a bunch of people looking outside for happiness, for satisfaction, for pleasure, and so on, and what we end up with uh, is a crazy broken world. Yeah, unfortunately. I think the scariest thing is when someone first tries meditation for the first time, the scary part is seeing how <laughs> really crazy they are inside. Mm. It's the hardest thing there is. And that's why not everyone does it. I mean, I'm I'm a terribly lazy meditator. But I really almost I really try and sit down every day and do it. But it's hard every day. Especially, you know, living in a house with a distracting husband and a full-time job and you know one day I hope to be able to yeah go up into the mountains and get some peace and quiet and try it up there one would hope it would be easier but you know you take your crazy mind with you everywhere is meditation for you about settling is it about is it about focus? Is it? I mean, it, it's a lot of things. I think I've certainly been practice. I've been practicing meditative and reflect uh, restorative yoga now for several years, and um, I, I find the practice, like you, uh, to some degree of, of really um, hmm, the discipline. The I take ninety minutes out of you know my week, and I go to this class, and isn't it wonderful? And uh, Shelley, I connect with the instructor, and there's something very, uh, huh ritualistic I suppose about it that I find really healing uh, but I also find that the, the actual meditative aspect of it but I, I'm terrible at it like I'm really bad at, at focusing on anything for more than a few seconds it's yeah. really really difficult so yeah just wondering I mean maybe looking for some advice <laughs> some, <laughs> some tips some advice but but yeah is is it about focus for you is it about is it about I don't know living more simply uh, does that make any sense well, the meditation is, I mean, basically in meditation, first off, you're asking the wrong person. <laughs> yes, also, right, because you're, you're a self-proclaimed lazy meditator. That's, I, I think, am. yeah. yeah. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah. I also practice yoga, which I find is just incredible. It's, it's hard, but it is hard. Um, I try to use yoga class also as a, as a, a meditation, because meditation is just, 
it's focusing on one object, which is so hard for us because we're just so used to multitasking day in and day out. You know, we're walking somewhere, we're thinking about something else, and we're so distracted. There's so much going on. And meditation is just, yes, calming the self down, using the breath to calm yourself down. Because if if the body is calm, then the mind is calm. So a few deep breaths and, you know, the object can be anything. It can be your body, it can be your breath, it can be even contemplating love or compassion or happiness. Just to settle every, everything down and, and move beyond. I mean, Buddhism, they talk about there's different layers of mind. and We stay up in our gross mind full of thoughts and everything. And if we can just relax, concentrate on an object, then they, they say that it's kind of like an ocean that's in a storm. And slowly, if you can relax, then the, the water calms and then you can see clearly the bottom mm. of the pond or the ocean. And it's, it's great for stress and it's relaxing. And, and you can see more deeply into yourself, right. your essence. I don't want to get all esoteric, but, you know, you can see the universe and <laughs> consciousness. But uh, it's great for so many things. Absolutely. When I read uh, when I read the miracle of mindfulness, written by um, is it uh, correct my pronunciation? Thich Nhat Han. Thich Nhat Han, yes. Thank you. He's wonderful. Um, the opening of the book, and as you were talking about uh, your take on on meditation and so on, he talks about washing dishes, and he says mm-hmm. if you're going to wash the dishes, wash the dishes. Yeah wash the dishes wash yep. the dishes don't don't do it because you've got to get it done to move on to playing the game or cutting the lawn or 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 returning a phone call no yep. wash med- so in other words med- so meditation can can be practiced anyway i guess the idea is to be practicing it you know often right you can practice meditation every second even when you're working just concentrate on the working I love that Japanese tea ceremony because you're just making the tea. You're not thinking about what you're going to have for dinner. You're not obsessing over the past or something. Staying in the present moment, that's the main thing. And you can do that all day long. So after so many years of of practicing Buddhism and stuff, do you you, you still find um, it difficult to be in the moment? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> that's that's the greatest challenge. Yeah, my mind, you know, skips ahead. You know, like when I was thinking about having to chat with you yesterday, I would right. think about it and start thinking, oh, my goodness, what are you going to ask me? <laughs> right. Thinking about the future, but no, it's okay. I come back to the present moment. few breaths and I'm back in my body, back in the present moment. Mm. Yeah, it's 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 hard work. It's... People talk about meditation. They talk about sitting on their cushion in the morning, but really it's second by second, 24-hour job. So if I'm going to meditate and I'm going to look inside and what I see actually is frightening and creates fear, which I think it does, and I'm not being facetious at all here, how does that actually lead lead me to happiness? But it's just the thoughts that could be frightening, right? Mm. So when a thought comes up, there's so many different techniques. My, one of my favorite ones is you imagine you're looking at a movie screen and when a thought comes up, it's just like you see it on the movie screen and if it's a frightening thought, you just 
watch it go away again. If you don't engage in the thought, it just goes away the way it came in. Or you can try and replace that thought because you can't have two thoughts in the same moment. So if you replace it with a happy thought, then you can do it that way. But there's nothing, nothing so frightening. It's just thoughts, isn't it? Do you think... Do you think that some of this fear, some of this inner sort of introspection and so on, and one of the reasons why so many of us don't do this kind of meditation and this kind of inner work is because we're actually afraid of realizing that maybe we're not as, um, I, I gotta be careful how I phrase this, that, that, um, that we're, we're afraid of not being included that yep. we're afraid of not being loved that if somebody actually sees me for who I really am they're going to run for the hills interesting like I wonder I do I mean I'm and I'm obviously this is my own take and my own understanding and my own faith-based uh, work that I've done and so on and and I think sometimes that 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 so much of the brokenness our own brokenness has to do with uh, the fact that we don't feel included and we don't feel loved and we don't feel accepted and we don't feel embraced and so and i think this connects to my work on modern existentialism and so on but we run and then therefore we run from it and we try to and as you would say we look for we look for solutions outside of ourselves yeah absolutely i think if people do take time to sit down and look deep within within themselves then they would they will feel included they will feel loved mm. This deep source of love and acceptance inside ourselves in the present moment. It's the thoughts, the ego that's trying to sabotage us. Mm. I always say, with an ego like mine, who needs enemies? Right. But it's not real, these thoughts. We believe in them 100%. Something pops into our brain and we believe it, but they're not real. We just have to let them, let them go. Have you ever thought... Um, have you ever thought that it would that that okay this this monastic life that I've chosen this pursuit of of meditation and Buddha you know this Buddhist life is it's just too much work. Uh, I'm, I'm so done. I'm go, I'm going back to the sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, there's so many. My if I listen to my thoughts and my ego, you know, I'd be sitting on my bed watching Netflix, stuffing my face all day long. <laughs> Or else they wouldn't even get out of bed at all. No, it's hard work. It's discipline. It's, yeah, I think, I don't know if I can, you might have to edit this out, but <laughs> when I was looking at Christianity and I really loved it and I agreed with it, but then the part where we didn't actually have to do any work on our own, hmm. that it kind of, I don't want to say the words out loud, but in Buddhism, it says it's not that easy. It's hard work. You have to put in the hours. Um, our teachers can show us the way, but we're the ones that have to do the work. It's not easy. It's hard work. And yeah, that that I think that kind of scared me when I first encountered the Tibetan Buddhism because I realized how much work it would take. And I realized that when I became a nun and shaved my head, no, my family did not understand. Right. And I had to explain it to them that this this is the way to become happy. Does that make sense? I think so. Do you so? Do you not believe in the concept of a free lunch then, Tolkar? 
do, do, do you know what I mean by that question? Um, so Christianity, was it the grace that you d didn't sort of align with? Or yeah. you, you say you, you appreciated the love and the neighborly and the good golden rule and, you know, all those kinds of things, which seem to be kind of a thread through most religions, it seems to me. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so this sense of, yeah, I'm just, anyway, just grace yeah. versus condition. Because when you say, no, hang on a minute, it is hard work. It is. I, I wish it were that easy, but right. it's not. Because, you know, as you know, Buddhism, we don't have a creator God. We believe that we have created everything ourselves. Karma is, you know, the law of the universe. That could be, yeah, seen as a fundamental difference, but we are, we like to concentrate on the, the similarities between, you know, religions, love, and compassion. And, but, um, yeah, this is sometimes when I'm feeling exceptionally lazy, <laughs> I think, oh, my goodness, why did I choose this path? Because <laughs> right. this path is hard work. You just, you need to take responsibility for your actions and you cannot play the victim anymore. And y yep, it's, it's hard work, but it's well worthwhile. But having said that, you know, there's a million different spiritual paths because there's millions of different people mm. and we each need to search and try what's best for us. For me, this is this is what's best for me, even though it's really hard sometimes. <laughs> you you believe it or not, we're going to have to wrap up our conversation here shortly. You you talked earlier so about being an Aquarius and wanting to change the world. Um, is that still a passion of yours? Do, do you do you still is, do you feel like you are changing the world? Maybe is a better question. I I hope so, because. Um, you know, when we do our daily practice, meditation, and we do prayers and visualizations, and um, our teachers have told us that this is this is our contribution to peace mm. in the world, and that's how I see this this conversation. Also, not that I have anything valuable or interesting to say, but maybe this is my contribution to peace in the world. Just before we wrap up, Tolker, um, tell me a little bit about the Liberation Prison Project. Sounds fascinating. Oh, it is absolutely wonderful. It was um, started by um, a prisoner wrote a letter to Venerable Rubina Corton. Have you heard of her? Have you I, ever had a I, chance to attend the teaching? She's amazing. Okay. Wow. Um, and then she wrote back to him, and then all his friends <laughs> in prison started writing. So she developed the Liberation Prison Project, one of the... We, there's 160 center services and projects in the FPMT all around the world. And this is one of, one of the projects. I'm a volunteer with them in that I write to several, I have five men in prison that oh, I write. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's totally from their own side. They're in, you know, they're in prison and they, some realize that, you know, it could be a valuable opportunity to to learn about meditation and Buddhism and they're all searching to, to better themselves and some of them do incredible work in prison so that's what I'm doing it's helping a lot of people so it's essentially connecting not I mean anyone can work with the liberation prison project it's not it's not a it's it's a, a Buddhist uh, or, or is that not true is it is it just a Buddhist uh, 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 approach or is it kind of like uh, more like an amnesty like uh, uh, angle it, it it is a buddhist approach 
I mean, if somebody wants to volunteer, there's there's a lot of different ways they could help out with the website or whatever. But it is it is writing to prisoners and and um, explaining things in a Buddhist way because mm. a lot of them are studying. Oh, I see. Okay, okay. But also because there's so much need, and you know, like anywhere, there's lack of resources. So yep. um, there's a lot of prisoners who would like a pen pal but don't have. So if anyone's interested, they could write. I think not totally 100% Buddhist, but probably okay. no. a bit. <laughs> That's excellent, and I'm going to include some links on uh, on your bio on the web page. Drolkor, thank you so much for your time today. Drolkor McCallum, she's the North American Regional Coordinator for the FPMT. I'm not going to spell that out. You <laughs> need to go and find out yourself what that means. Uh, she works with the Liberation Prison Project, and, and she rode a bike. How many kilometers did you do on the bike? That's what I'm asking. Well, that's what I we need to... went from Toronto to Thailand. <laughs> Toronto to Thailand. Yeah. Uh, I also, I also want to mention I also work with the IMI, which are the nuns and monks of the FPMT. It's oh, okay. International Mahayana Institute. Excellent. Well, okay. I really appreciate your time today, and uh, thank, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, David. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.